morning. In between the decorations and the opening of the Christmas song, it makes you want to go home and open your presents, doesn't it? <laughs> Celebrate Christmas early. Uh, you know, it is a, a joyful time of year, especially as we prepare for Christmas. There's joy in preparation, and um, but we are reminded uh, continually, just as we are at Easter time, that joy is year-round for us, uh, knowing the blessings uh, and the blessedness of um, Christ coming and taking on flesh and what that means uh, for us. I do want to take a moment, uh, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, and I know many of you have been watching the news over the past uh, day or so and heard reports of the uh, tornado, the damage that it's caused. I was just thinking this morning, waking up at, at 6 uh, to have the lights in the house on. No, they weren't that dim. Um, but what little bit we went through with the blackout and, and um, what it would be like as a church to wake up to such tragedy and devastation uh, in your community that you experience personally the personal loss, but just the community at large. Uh, so I just want to take a moment, um, as I know we've prayed several times throughout the service this morning, but let me just offer a word of prayer for uh, for the uh, message and also for, um, for those who are suffering through that tragedy in Kentucky and other places. So pray with me, okay? Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you again, even as we read the, the letter of Hebrews, it is a prayer to call us, or it is a letter to call us to prayer, and that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, interceding on our behalf, and because of that, we're told over and over to draw near to the throne of grace. And so we do, even this morning, uh, thinking about not just our own situations in life, where we're at here, uh, but just thinking about uh, your people all over uh, the place, those who are suffering under the, uh, the tra tragic events of the tornado and, uh, and the far widespread disaster that that's caused. Lord, we know the earth groans waiting for the redemption of the sons of God. And that groaning uh, is seen visible in, in such disasters as what we have just heard and read about to some degree. But God, we also know that you're the God of all comfort. And this has not taken you by surprise. We believe and confess that you are sovereign and we don't understand everything that goes on in the world. But we do know that you are, uh, you are the great comforter and you give strength in the midst of trouble and turmoil. And so we pray for strength for those churches, for those uh, people in those areas, not just churches and pastors and, and, and your people in those areas, but we pray for the communities affected by the disaster, the death, uh, the, the tragic um, things that's taken place. We pray for a work of the gospel to flourish in those areas and, uh, and that people to come together with a mind to work and to, um, uh, and to recover from this. And Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bible open in the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, some of you we're probably thinking Joshua 2 is an odd place to be reading in December. Uh, not quite your typical Christmas message, but Rahab, I will, I will confess and, and justify that. She's mentioned in the genealogy of Matthew 1. And uh, that is a, uh, so that's Christmas. 
Yeah, right there. Uh, so there you go. <laughs> Hebrews 11, we've been looking and working through the letter given to us here um, for a good uh, deal of time now. Chapter 11, we've looked at several different examples. And there's a phrase which stands out throughout chapter 11, uh, which says, by faith. 18 times it's mentioned by meaning that it was their faith. It was according to their faith or, or the exercise of their faith that was carried out that, that brings about the reason to even mention them. They're not just mentioned because they're heroes or people in the Old Testament. Uh, the writer is drawing out that what is so significant about these people and what is worth bringing them up? Well, it is because they lived and carried out and exercised their faith. It was by faith. Faith is that unseen, immaterial conviction that they had that was materialized. So it was the unseen, immaterial conviction that was materialized throughout their life. And we see that in all the number of examples over the past weeks of, of individuals who by faith lived and hoped and carried out and left and came back and all that they did, it was by faith by faith it is this kind of uh, example that he is hoping to stir in our own lives to remind us that we are to be people of faith to live it out and to and to believe not only in times of prosperity but also in times of difficulty now if you have your bible open i want to begin reading in verse 31 and read to the end of the chapter uh, together we left off the walls of Jericho had uh, fell down after being encircled for seven days. Verse 31, it says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given them friendly welcome, or she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, whom through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by the resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered, mocked, and flogged, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, and they were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword, and they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Once you read that last few sentences, you kind of wonder what kind of people these are. And in verse 38, it says, Of whom the world was not worthy. Of such, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth, and all these through uh, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should be made perfect. As we have been looking about the reminder of these individuals of Abel and Enoch. Abraham and Moses, we conclude with the extensive section of taking individual names with one, 
non-Jewish woman. Unusual figure that we find here uh, mentioned and also uh, also a, a nice way to close up or sum up what he, what he has been talking about. Uh, the idea of faith and, and back in verse number one as being that assurance of things hoped for, convictions of things not seen, the belief in God and him being a rewarder of those who diligently seek him is all, is all caught up or, or um, demonstrated in this one Gentile woman, Rahab. It is interesting that you find at the beginning of this example of Abel who exercising his faith in God, offering up a sacrifice, dies for his faith. And here in conclusion, we find a woman who, because of the exercise of her faith, finds life. In one sense, we see Moses who is given all the wealth of Egypt, who, who accepts reproach and isolation. And yet, on the other hand, Rahab, who in the exercise of her faith, finds acceptance and life. And blessedness. Here we are reminded that it is the exercise of faith in the, in, the, in the account of Rahab that saves her life. Verse 31, look at it with me. He says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. That's my attention this morning as we look at verse 31, just kind of break it down in three, three thoughts and then we'll make some concluding uh, points to this and hopefully, Lord willing, wrap it all together, right? The first thing I want to notice is uh, Rahab herself. Mentions in verse number 31, she's mentioned twice in the New Testament as Rahab the prostitute. Uh, here in the book of Hebrews and in the book of James itself. And it's not my intention to, to make more of what her name is or what her title is than what the Word of God says. And it may very well be she's listed here as Rahab the, the uh, prostitute because it wants our minds to go directly back to Joshua chapter number 2. That when the Hebrew writer and when James mentions Rahab the prostitute, our thoughts think about the historical actual woman Rahab. Rahab's mentioned two other times or in two other ways in the Bible. Once it is referred to in the poetic literature, Job 9 is one of those places, of a sea monster. Definitely not Rahab, the historical woman. And she's also used, or the name is also used of Egypt or, or in correlation with Egypt. You find that in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 30, verse number 7. So when what we see here in the book of Hebrews, when he speaks about Rahab the prostitute, we're not thinking about those type of mythological or hypothetical people. We're speaking about a real life and flesh, real person, Rahab the prostitute. Despite all the other accounts, the historical figure Rahab has received a great deal of praise um, in Jewish tradition. So much so that some writings have kind of erased away the prostitute and, and have called her Rahab the innkeeper, which she may have had an end there. That's why strangers would come in and stay with her as well. So well thought of she was in some circles. One source says this of uh, Rahab. Tradition uh, to the biblical account uh, tells us that the notion that Rahab married Joshua after the fall of Jericho after converting to faith in God and her prodigy, 
included eight priests and prophets, including Jeremiah. Now, that's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches about Rahab. But it does show you this woman who was unlikely to be received by much of anyone uh, was received with such great favor in the Jewish tradition. She was, in all accounts, a good reminder to you and I this morning what the Bible teaches, that God is no respecter of persons. We might see why it would be easy for Moses to gain favor by God and be used by God. After all, he was raised in a palace, he was educated, he, was, uh, he, he, you know, he, he had a lot going for him in life. God used him greatly, but in our minds, sometimes we think that that's the kind of people that God uses, and that is the issue, one's situation, or one's life, or one's moral conditions, or whatever the case may be. And here Rahab reminds us that it has nothing to do with those things. It has more to do with one's faith. That's what's being highlighted of the woman here, Rahab, her faith in God, backed with all the other demonstrations of those who believe God. It's not just the issue that God is showing us the, the depth that he has no respecter of persons. I think there's also a note here to show the, the mercy of God. That which society would cast away and cast off and use up. Uh, that's which we see in our society, right? We, we, uh, we disregard those in, in that kind of life or those with that kind of history. And yet here the mercy of God reaches down and, and brings about healing and salvation. But I want to say that that's true with all of us. You look around this morning, and I, I, I mean, I don't just mean look around in a kind of proverbial sense. Look around. Okay, a few of you got that. Look around at the people in this room. We're filled with people with stories, histories, some of which you know and, and you've been accustomed to and, and you've grown up around. And, but there's a lot of people in here you don't know. Amen? What makes the difference? What's the grace of God? That's what brings us together. That's what transforms us. And there's a reality, really. Uh, I think John Owen notes it powerfully when he says, nothing, no person, no sin is to be despaired if, that's a big if in his statement here, in whose sovereign almighty grace is engaged. What is it? Does it matter the depths of our sin or the depths of our pride? We're not to be despaired of where God's sovereign almighty grace is active. We're all trophies and story of God's grace. She is introduced to us by her sin and her situation, but preserved for us because of her faith. Because of her faith. And there is a true statement that we are never so good that we're not in need desperately of God's forgiveness and grace. Do you believe that? And some of you have lived good lives, and, and thank, that's, praise God for that. But you're never so good where you don't need God's grace. His forgiveness. And you're never so bad that the grace of God can't cleanse you and meet your deepest need. I think we see that here in the examples that are given to us all through chapter number 11. But not just in the fact that it mentions her as Rahab the prostitute. What is being brought out is the fact that she believed. She believed God. She demonstrated faith. And we see that back in Joshua Chapter number 2, verses 9 through 11, let me just read that for you. He's in speaking to the spies that come in. I know that the Lord has given you the land. 
and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond Jordan and Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. And you could just reread that whole section that we referenced this morning. But what you see here is this declaration of her faith. Uh, the conversation to these two guys and what moves her to do what she does and uh, throughout chapter number two and the sparing of her life is rooted in the fact that she believed. But how did she come to believe? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, a whole lot like us. Really in the same way. She says at the beginning of this, for we have heard in verse number three, 10, how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Red Sea. The word of God came to her. The testimony of his deeds and his works and his might and his power that he delivers his people and he's promised his people the land that you're dwelling in. And Egypt could not, could not uh, overthrow God and, and his work and the Red Sea could not stop him and, and the two armies or the two nations on the other side of Jordan couldn't stop him and, and, and God will fulfill his word. The word of God came to her. And that's the same thing that happens to us. And in fact, I would say as we look, at, uh, look at, at it on this side of things, we're much more blessed than the Old Testament saints. I think you find that in verse number 40. And he said, being provided something better for us, that we have the word of God at the, at the touch of our fingers. I had a Bible open when Leard was reading and Luke had his phone open playing Angry Birds. No, it wasn't. He wasn't playing that. <laughs> Just kidding. He was reading the Bible on his phone. And some of you may have been playing Angry Birds and sitting in the back. I don't know. I have to go back to turn the Internet off, right, Ed? It's awful. It was not in my notes. Sorry. But she believed, she exercised faith, and, and the exercise of that faith, the birth of that faith, is the same way we believe. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. She heard what God had done. She heard what he was going to do. In fact, not only did she hear it, everyone in Jericho heard what God had done and what God will do. Not only did they hear what uh, they hear the deeds and the exploits of God and his people. Uh, the Bible says they were moved, strongly affected by the news. In one sense, it says the, the strength of them drained away. There was no courage left in any man in the city. You can imagine Rahab and, and having a front row seat, watching the heroes of the army of Jericho and none of them having a bit of courage left at hearing the word of God. She heard the news, overly, as the rest of them were affected by it. Maybe even seeing the impact of it on others. But she did more than that, didn't she? She believed them. She believed them. That's why she confessed. I know the Lord has given you this land. Now, how do we know she believed? 
because that's the issue in the world. We like in our modern culture, and, and I don't mean to beat it in the ground, but we like to say stuff and acknowledge stuff. But how do we know that, that it's true? That's the really impact of this whole chapter. Well, it gives us a few things here, I think, that we can take away that we know she believed. One, that she confessed that God was God. Uh, verse number six tells us that faith without faith is impossible to please him for who would ever draw near to God must believe that he exists, right? And so what does she say? We know that your God, the Lord, is the God of, the God of heaven and earth. She acknowledges and confesses that God is the God of heaven and earth. The second thing we see is that she acted upon that that knowledge by hiding the spies. Now here in Hebrews 11, it says that she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. Now there's a lot going in that, and, and we see as some early church fathers commended her for her uh, godly hospitality that she displayed, and it's rightfully so she did do that. She also lied a few times, and, uh, and you know, a few other things going on in that scene. So here she's acting upon that, sparing the lives of those who come into her house, hiding them from those who would seek them. The third thing we notice is found back in Joshua chapter number two. It was in our reading. <clears throat> and that is simply this. Not only did she confess that God was the only God, that confessional statement she acted upon the reality that god was going to fulfill his word hiding the spies and thirdly she asked she just simply straight out and asked that her life be spared you don't do that if you don't believe it's going to happen if you don't believe the word of god you don't act upon it right you you just kind of go on well that's interesting that's fine that's moving that's stirring but but you just kind of let it go she is seeking to save her life and the life of her family. She's moving in a direction and, and believing what God will do. And because God will do this, she is seeking that her own life be spared. Jesus speaks to us in the same way. There's wisdom in that. When he says, fall upon the rock and be broken, lest the rock fall upon you and grind you to dust. Well, there is a time to cry out for mercy while mercy can be had instead of finding a time where there will be no mercy. So here we see her asking, uh, now please swear to me, verse number 12 of chapter number 2, by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. She believed the word of God. She confessed it. She acted upon it. And she asked that her life be spared. You know, really what she was doing was putting her life in God's hands. Her future and her family in God's hands. In the hands of these two spies. And she said, give me, a, give me a token, give me a promise that you will spare that. You know what we do when we come to Christ for salvation? You put your life, your future in God's hands. And can I say that if he's got the whole, you know the old kid's song, right? He's got the whole world in his hands. How many know that? Raise your hand. I could wake you up this morning, see? If he's got the whole world in his hands, he can carry you. Amen? She believed. She put her life, her future, her hope, her, all of that in the hands of God. So thirdly, not only 
do we see that she believed? We see she did not perish. The text says, verse number 31, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Isn't that remarkable that it speaks about those who are disobedient? What were they supposed to do? Would it have been different if the men of Jericho, if the, if the city of Jericho, whether it was 1,600 or 2,000 or however many people were living at Jericho at the, at the conquest of it, would it have been different? Would God have given mercy had they had come by faith receiving the message and receiving the messengers? Well, we don't know because they didn't. They manifested the reality that unbelief and disobedience are hand in hand. Really, unbelief is the root of disobedience. So he could speak about her faith and their disobedience without, without batting an eye and getting all confused because it really is at the heart of their, their disobedience is unbelief. Instead of seeking peace, they prepare for war. And can I say this is, uh, just as, as much as I'm convinced of it, the unbelieving heart is always at war with God's word and God. It is never at peace with God and God's word. It doesn't matter what the mouth says. At the root, the heart, underneath the soil, unbelief is always, always at war with God. So that's what they do. At hearing the news, they gear up for war and, and they begin to war against God. Owen, uh, John Owen has powerfully put it, unbelief is the only sin which makes eternal destruction inevitable and remediless. There is no cure for unbelief. Murder, adultery, anger, pride, sexual immorality. All of these, the wages of sin is death, the Bible tells us. But all of these find a remedy in the balm at Calvary. They find a remedy at the cross of Jesus Christ. They find forgiveness and healing. That's what you read in 1 Corinthians 6, that he lists all of these horrible sins which, which really capture the life of the person. And he says, none of these, none of these men or none of these practices will enter into the kingdom of God. Which were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been made new. But there is no cure for unbelief. If you reject the gospel, if you reject the remedy that God gives you and, and you go on your own way living in disobedience in that way, then there is no, there's no other way. There's no other remedy. It is the one sin in its peculiar fashion <clears throat> that promises that eternal destruction is inevitable, as Owen puts it. And yet what you find here, Rahab, in the midst of a city of disobedient, unbelieving people, you find that she was spared and saved from destruction. Isn't it, it you know, my mind, you think about the wall and, and people marching around the wall falling flat. Some commentators suggest maybe the ground just kind of ate the wall. I don't know because it fell flat. Except where Rahab lived. Marching around the wall and all that took place and the wall and the destruction of the city and yet the Bible tells us here comes those two spies bringing out Rahab and all of her family to present them to Joshua saying this is the woman we told you. And I think, you know, one of the young spies was doing that willingly. We know that because he later on married her. Showing us that in the midst of all of that, God spared her life. Faith, her faith saved her and her whole family. 
But it isn't just a physical salvation. And when we think about salvation, there is a saving of the life. There is that physical aspect of it. But we, we also talk about in that eternal sense, that saving faith and saving her soul or eternal destiny. I think that you see that both in the life of Rahab. She found more than just, uh, just uh, living at the end of the conquest of Jericho, but she became partakers of the promise of God. That's why she's mentioned. She embodied for us what Paul would write in the church of Ephesus, chapter number 2, verses 11 through 13. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. That describes the inhabitants of Jericho. Without God, no hope. Yet, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. She embodied the gospel. God demonstrated the power and the work of it in her life. She who once was not a part of the people of God. She once who had no hope and no, no share in the commonwealth of Israel, no share in the, in the Messiah or any of those things that Israel boasted in and rejoiced in and hoped in. She had none of that. But instead, in the exercise of her faith, God not only blesses her and sparing her life, but, but brings her in to share in that same hope. Right? That's what you see here. As we know, as we read our Bibles, she married one of the spies and became the mother of Boaz in the book of Ruth. How many of you read the book of Ruth? You see Boaz, a blessed man, both, both physically, financially, and in character as well. In a time when the world and, and Israel did what was right in their own eyes, it's refreshing to come across someone like Boaz who shows that faithful loving kindness that God displays to his people, to another stranger. Boaz became the great-grandfather of David. And, and, of course, you know, as we already said in the opening in Matthew 1, we find Rahab again mentioned in the line of Christ. Isn't it remarkable? God's grace to do far exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And some of us, when we come to Christ, we just say, please, just give me forgiveness and peace. And I remember a guy telling me one time, I'll be glad if I make it to heaven and just clean out stables. And I know what he was saying. I get that, right? But if that's what you think about the promises of God, you need to reopen your Bibles because you've missed it. Beyond, above, all that you could imagine or think or comprehend the Bible promises to those who are in Christ Jesus. Not just peace and life and acceptance now, but a manifestation of that, that, that if you could say it in one way, it's going to blow your socks off when you get there. Here she was looking for the sparing of her own life and found more than that. Acceptance and hope. Belonging that she had not experienced before. Well, let me just conclude a few points of this if I could. If you're taking notes, I have four uh, just remarks, and you can jot these down and, and go over them later. First, I want to say that the writer is simply telling us all through chapter number 11 that it is by faith that it's highlighted. And it is faith which is typical among the people of God. Paul speaks about that in the same way in, in the first part of Romans where he talks about 
from faith unto faith, or the beginning of our faith to the end of our faith. We're called people of faith. Now, I know that we say that in a general sense because we belong to a religion and, and we have a book and all this other stuff. But no, he says what is what marks the people of God is their faith. Their faith in God, their faith in Christ, that, that they all believed him and his promises. Now, it doesn't mean all of their situations are the same or all of the way that played out is the same and, and what took place is the same. Now, just the same as it is true for us. We're all in different places in this life and God works and, and moves us in different ways. Our, our history is different. Our, our, our present is different and our future if in this life will differ from one another. In some ways we see through that list after verse 32 on down to verse number 38, God delivering people from the fiery furnace. Three Hebrew children, you remember that from Sunday school, right? And Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and God shut the mouths of the lions. He used one as a pillow, spared it. How did he do that? By faith. God did these mighty deeds and miraculous art. But it doesn't mean that, that, that everyone's situation is the same because he goes on and says some people were sawn in half. Some people gave their life. John the Baptist gave his head because he was obedient and believed God and did what, uh, did what was right. Lost his head. And those situations may change from person to person and, and God's deliverance or his act of deliverance, some through suffering, some from suffering, it varies from person to person. The, at the root of it all, there is that same element of faith. But not just like an empty statement of faith, a faith, a trust, a belief, a conviction in God himself. In God himself. The most remarkable thing about us is not us, it's our God we serve. And the best thing we can do and what God is doing through our life is growing, uh, growing us and, and, and stretching us so that our, our grip on that understanding comes tighter and tighter. We live by faith. Marks us all. If you're in Christ this morning, you, you, you found yourself in him because of faith, by grace through faith, this gift of God. And you're not just saved that way, but you walk that way continually. Here we see this reminder that faith is typical among God's people, not just Old Testament saints, but you here this morning. Faith, believing, trusting God. But secondly, not only is it typical among God's people, faith is seen in action. That's what James uses Rahab for, right? He says, he says here's the justification of her faith. And when he says justification, he doesn't mean that she's justified by her deeds and doing what she did. But this is, this is the validity. This is the evidence of her faith. Faith itself is an unseen element. It's a, it's a thing that, that rests in all of us. It's, it's under the surface. It's in the ground. It is immaterial in the sense of I can't pull out my faith out of my pocket and show you it to you. And then, you know, like you do trading cards or whatever. I don't even know where that came from, but you know what I mean. But it is true, is it not, beloved, that faith, whatever is under the ground, manifests itself above the ground? The seed in the heart, the conviction, that which we grab a hold of, that which we rest in and trust in, it, it's manifested in some kind of fruit, some kind of evidence. 
That's what you see over and over demonstrated here. And, and it was by faith they did these exploits. It was by faith that they, they, they carried out this, this kind of actions and activities and trusted and endured and found strength. It was, it was by faith. And we need to be reminded of that, I think, in our culture, don't we? Because we get, we're so happy living in a world of contradictions. I feel like I'm on my own when I say that, right? You see it all over. It is part of our culture in the day we live in. I mean, it's a philosophy of the age. What is true for you is true for you. That's cool. It's true for me. It's true for me. That's, you know, and... and and not only do we have that kind of different truth idea, the idea of me knowing stuff and, and resting or believing that. I mean, we, we just have all kinds of mixed up ideas. Amen? About five of us have, have really gotten it. But what the Bible says underneath, what you're holding on to, what you put your faith in, it is manifested. It comes up through the ground in some kind of tree, some kind of plant, some kind of produce. Faith itself, we're not saved by words, but faith itself produces. The, it is at the very motivation, the very thing which, which fuels our actions and our activity. And it's really easy for us to mouth and say that we believe God and we trust God and, and all this other stuff. Uh, but oftentimes, if we're honest, we see a, a lack of evidence in that in our life. That should lead us to repent and trust Christ and, and, and ask for, uh, for repentance of those kind of times in our lives. But, you know, sometimes that becomes typical. I was uh, thinking about the false leaders or false teachers in the book of Titus where they, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works and by their deeds. And we live in a culture where we say, well, you can't say that anymore. And yet the word of God says that. Faith, our trust in God, is meant to be fleshed out in our life. It, it, imperfectly, right? None of these guys were saints. None of them were saints in the sense of perfect, not to be worshipped. Moses killed a guy. Did some other stuff. Even after seeing God, all that he did, and, and aggravated at the children of Israel. Who could blame him? But yet he disobeyed God and wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land. Yet his faith continually Continually grabbing for, reaching a hold of God in the midst of trouble. And sometimes that's the evidence that's most seen in our life. Where do we turn in the midst of our sorrow and our suffering? Where do we shepherd our thoughts and our, our, our minds to? Do we lay hold of and, and, and grab a hold of the gospel and, and what Christ has done for us and our identity in him? Do we live out continually in the way we interact with one another and the way we give and the way we serve and the way we, we just be a witness and a testimony around us? Is our faith in the reality of who God is and what he's done for us, what he's promised to us, does that have any marker in our life at all? It ought to. It ought to. We're to live by faith. Faith is seen in our actions. And I know I'd say that in one way questioning, but... Let me just say in another way, in, in more of a positive sense, I am thankful for the many examples I've seen of that since I've been here. And many of you, and not all of you, because I haven't seen it all of you, and, and watch out, but many of you have seen God and, and your faith and your belief in him manifested and evident in your lives, the way you, the way you live. What an encouragement that is to each of us. But not only is faith seen in action, thirdly, 
faith is reaching and seeing something, hoping for something that is to come and not what is currently seen. You understand that? Probably you're like, what? Can you say that again? I can. I'll do that for you. Faith is reaching, seeing, hoping for something that is to come and not what is currently seen. Notice with me, back in verse number 13 and 14, he says, these all died in faith, speaking about all the examples that were uh, beforehand, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar off, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth for people who speak thus to make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. We say their faith is the reward or, or there is rooted. It's reaching for that which they cannot physically see. That which is in front of them, that which they're hoping for. In the instance here, he said these, these people were living with an internal perspective. Their mind, their hope, their, their thoughts, their ambitions was set on another country and another land that, that they were anticipating. And just say it another way, we're to live that way too, aren't we? We're to live with our heart and our hope set on heaven. It says in Colossians chapter number 3 that we're to set our affections there where Christ is seated. We see it also later on as you see Moses being brought up as an example for us. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Reproach is not pleasant, but he's saying that, that small amount of reproach even if it is a weighty thing at the moment, is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. If I could let Paul give us a description of what that means. Again, you see the same thing in verse number 39. All these, through their, uh, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. He's saying their faith was reaching for something beyond them in the moment. It wasn't blind, it, it saw them afar off, it said. And what they were reaching for, it impacted them in the moment, today. What do you live for? We believe God. We trust God. Our sins are forgiven. At the, at the gospel, that's what it tells us, that we are now accepted in the beloved. What God has done for us, Ephesians 1, from eternity past, all that he has done, amazing blessings, all of that, pushing us forward to the full manifestation of that when we see him face to face. You see, he is trying to tell these group of people that are struggling and suffering and the only thing that they see is sorrow in the near future. He's saying, you've got to look beyond that, brother. You've got to be motivated by something other than, than Nero who's burning Rome and going to blame you guys for it. Some of you will die as torches, human torches for his... his, his uh, whatever he's got going on there. you got to look for something more than that. The reward is far more greater, but it is in front of us. I can say that for all of us. We praise God for the news of Jim, uh, cancer-free. Praise God for that. But more than the news of that is the joy of the news that one day Christ will come again. We celebrate that tonight, don't we? We take the Lord's Supper. As often as you do this, until the Lord returns. We proclaim his death until the Lord returns. And the news that we don't like. The burdens that we can't lift off of us. 
and the struggles that you and I face continually, even the weakness in our flesh, all of that is meant to look beyond the now because this isn't how it's always going to be. In fact, what you see in conclusion of this, if I could say number four, fourthly, verse number 40, faith will become sight. Notice he said, since God has promised or provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Another way we could say it like this, they're still waiting. They're waiting for us. And we're going to walk through that together. Hand in hand. And it will all be because of God's faithfulness. Because God is good and God never changes. And because he is trustworthy. The writer is saying, put your faith, put your trust in him. Believe, live it out. We say, well, it's hard. He says, yeah, I know, but it isn't the end. The hardness is not the end. It's the joy to steal a little bit from the next chapter. The joy set before you is the end. The reward, the inheritance. God is faithful. They were all living with their mind, looking beyond their circumstances to something that is much greater. And in some ways, there's something comforting and kind of weird about the idea that we're all going to be made perfect together. I guess in some ways he says that because we tend to think that those days were better than these days. God was more God to them than he was to us, using them in different ways. And the rest says, nope. <laughs> All through Christ, all through faith. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning that we gather together. Lord, I don't, I know where some people are in this room. And there's a great deal of people I don't know where they are. But God, I know that you do. I know sometimes I don't even know where my own heart is. But Lord, you know, you know what I need. You know what we all need. I pray that you would just continue to point our eyes to that which is in front of us. The majesty of our Savior that, who sustains us in the moment. The encouragement that one day we will be with him. We will be conformed into his image. And Lord, I pray that if there's any here this morning that does not have that hope, Father, that Rahab would be a message of hope to them. That just as she heard the word and believed, so too they would put their faith and trust in Christ. He comes to, he comes to Pharisees and he comes to prostitutes. And both by faith find new life, acceptance and belonging in the family of God. So we just pray there's somebody that needs that, Lord, that they would, they would stop in their unbelief. And they would find the remedy of Christ and his cross. And Father, I pray for each other person in here this morning. And Lord, that you let the words that's been said, let your word be an encouragement to them. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.